and welcome to Two Girls in a Pod. I'm Sharon. I'm Christy. Today we're going to do a follow-up to our fear and anxiety. This one is fear, fear and anxiety, finding our voice. Because, you know, one of the things I have found is oftentimes fear, some of the fears that we have, or a lot of the fears that we have, actually come from us not speaking our truth or living our truth. It's the the words or the actions that we've taken on from other people, their opinions. And we talked a little bit about that, that people form an opinion about us and they make that their truth. And it's sometimes based on such a small amount of what they really know about us. And then we take that truth, their truth, make it our truth. And then we kind of stumble through life, always feeling like, you know, we're afraid of this or we're afraid of that, or we don't live up to our potential. And, you know, oftentimes we'll see this in little kids. If if a little kid starts getting the reputation of, oh, he's just a bad kid or she's just a bad kid, or and then pretty soon they start being bad and they start taking that persona on as their own. You know, we call it the self-fulfilling prophecy. If you hear something enough, then you start to believe it and you make it yours, even though it's not yours. Once again, that is somebody else's opinion that shuts down our voice. And so that's kind of the premise of this podcast today is to talk about how do we get our voice back? How do we speak our truth? How do we tell our story? And I don't care who it is. And Christy and I were talking about this. I don't care who it is. I don't care if you're a billionaire or you have $2 to your name. I don't care if you're a man or if you're a woman. I don't care, you know, whatever it is. We as humans will have anxiety about something. Not all, not all anxiety is bad. Sometimes we have anxiety because it propels us to do something that we're maybe have a little bit, we're a little leery of, but then, you know, we have those anxieties and it's, it's some, it can be very helpful for us. But a lot of us worldwide have anxiety that's a little more than those, that anxiety that propels us. It's once again, those thoughts that we carry of other people. And then we live our life based on that. And I, it can come from as far back as your childhood, you know, and just there's certain things that you come to believe about yourself, I think, because of your parents and things that you see about them and the way that they live. And like you always hear the thing of some of the old sayings like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that, so then you start to believe some things about yourself that maybe, maybe aren't necessarily true. Maybe there are things that you outgrow or things that you didn't realize that you could do, but because of what you believed as you, how you were raised, maybe you didn't think that you were capable of those things. But I think as time goes on, you can start to realize your power to change things. Exactly. And I think it's interesting because, you know, when, because I grew up, like I said, I have five brothers and five sisters. And when you grow up in a school system too, there's already the reputation of the one ahead of you. And I often hear that even with my clients. Oh, my sister was a smart one. Oh, my brother was the athletic one. Oh, this and oh, that. Well, I wasn't any of those things. And a lot of times the reason you weren't those things is because you would have anxiety about meeting those expectations of those other people, even though it's not about those expectations of the other people. It's about if you're going to do something, you do it for the way it makes you feel. But we have this pressure, we have all of these things. And 
Christy and I are, we love the LA Dodgers. And so we were very happy. We got to go see them play the Rockies last week, which was really amazing. And we were talking because their relief pitcher, I guess he's not the relief, he's the closer of the game. And he talked about the pressure and the anxiety that he has. And it's that pressure of other people. Instead of just going out and doing your best, there's all this pressure from people. You know, we saw that in the Olympics, that pressure, that anxiety that's coming because there's pressure all around us to excel, to be better, to do this. And the problem is, it's not our expectation. It's the, we're allowing all these pressures and to tell us and to dictate what is our best. Which fills you with more anxiety. Exactly. And the truth of the matter is, is our best should be our best. One of the things I talk to my clients about is people have anxiety about failure, but they also have anxiety about success. Because with success comes more pressure to be better and better and better. Not necessarily by the person. The person will put that internal drive in them, but oftentimes it's coming from somebody else. And one of my clients I'm working with, we're talking about what is success? And within the infrastructure of the company she works for, it's about money. Money becomes that thing. But one of the things we talked about was her measurement of success is her interaction with people, empowering women, and what that brings to her family and to her relationships. That is successful for her. It doesn't mean that the higher-ups are going to agree with that success thing because it's not about money. And that's what we have to understand is, and we've been working on this with her, of what is your success, not what is somebody else's success? Because as soon as she took on the thing of somebody else's success, she starts to shut down. It starts to impact her. But the truth is, is she's already known what her success is, but she allowed those voices to get in her head, which then created all this anxiety of, oh my gosh, you know, it becomes a thing of, no, I'm supposed to be doing this. This is what success looks like. And then it starts eating away at us. And then we start shutting down. So we have fear of success. But I always tell my clients, I don't use the term failure because I don't believe people fail. I believe every single thing we do in life is practice. And I always tell them, you know, when your kid was first learning how to walk, and and I was thinking about that because our goddaughter is walking now, and it's amazing to see, and we went with her, and she gets up, she walks two or three steps, she falls down. We don't all sit there and look and say, ah, she's a failure. Look, can't even stay up on her feet. Come on now. No, we understand that she's going to get back up, and she's going to practice it, and she's going to practice it until she masters it. So for all of you out there listening today, remove that word failure. Because it's not about failure. It is about you practicing to get to the next spot. It is not about you failed because we teach that. Oh, somebody's a failure. No, somebody's a failure based on somebody else's opinion. And it's not failing. It truly is practicing. When we fail a test in school, we don't just say, okay, well, I'm a big failure and go on to the next thing. Might as well not. But some people do because they take that. I tell the kids I work with, homework is just practice. Everything you do is practice. When I have my kids who have anxiety about going to the next grade, if they're going from elementary into middle school or middle school into high school, or even if they're going right into first grade, they get all that anxiety and people aren't going to like me. They don't know what they're supposed to do. 
and always remind them, you were in first grade once, and you mastered it. You were in middle school, and you got through that and did okay. High school is no different. We're all just practicing in life. We're practicing in order to be a better version of ourselves. Or that's what we should be doing, is our practice should be about a better version of ourselves, not a better version for somebody else. And I think that's where a lot of anxiety comes from, is just that whole thing of, am I going to meet somebody's expectation? Are people going to love me? Are people going to like me? But I think if people could just realize that the biggest and best contribution you can make to making the world better is just giving it your best, just doing what you can do. And sometimes you don't know what you can do until you try something new. Mm-hmm. And I always tell parents, in, in, even when I'm talking to my clients, I always say, don't tell people, oh, try. I, and that just, I understand what you're saying in that context. But I always tell them, you know, they'll tell their kids, well, you try your hardest. Well, try is not an action. I always tell people, picture try as a little hamster on the wheel. They just keep spinning and spinning, but they don't know where they're going. There's no goal because <laughs> it's not an action. I always tell people, just do your best. If you do your best, that's all that matters. And when I'm working with kids, and I find this very interesting, I'll tell parents, watch this. If the kid's in my office and the parent feels like they haven't done their best, and I'll call, I'll talk to the kid, I'll say, sweetie, did you do your best on that? And sometimes they'll say, it's weird, because they'll be, nope. Because <laughs> they know what that means. But now if I say, did you try? Uh-huh. Because it's not an action. But they know when they've done their best and they know when they haven't. Did you do your best? Yes. Okay, honey, that's all we can ask of you. So those are the things we need to do our best for ourselves. And if it doesn't meet somebody else's expectation, it's not about us. That's about them. And, but it's how do we separate that out? And that's always the hard thing, I think, is finding your voice in all of those other voices that we hear in our head. How do we single out our voice? And how do we know, no, this is me and all this other stuff belongs to somebody else. And how do we filter that through? That is one of, to me... One of the biggest things that I do as a therapist is trying to sort out the voices, the opinions of others in order to find the person that is in there. And I have this one gentleman that I work with and I always tell him, your core is a good man. The core, who you are. I always tell him it's those voices. It's those opinions that you continue because he'll talk about having having that dialogue in his head of he starts to do something good. And then that voice that comes in, you're worthless. Why are you even doing that? You're going to amount to nothing. And we talked about that last a couple of weeks ago. And I said, that's not yours. And then it was like, I heard that growing up. I heard that so much. But it becomes that self-talk. And that is such a big piece, I think, of what the anxiety that people feel in that is that self-talk that's going on in their head all the time. And yeah, like you say, it's the opinion of others that they've taken on and they're hearing it over and over in their mind. If people could start to change that self-talk, I think they would start to be able to live more free, you know, live their truth and, and speak their truth. And I think what's interesting is, you know, uh, one of the my male clients, he's on the autism spectrum and He's doing really well right now and just so happy about that. He's come so far, but we've had moments because he'll get anxiety and, and he'll have moments where he'll just cry and he'll tell me, 
Miss Sharon, just take the autism out of me so I'm not different. Because he understands that his difference is what separates him. And I've worked on reminding him that it is his difference that makes him unique, that makes him special. And he now, he's starting to understand that. He's, he's happier than I've seen him. But he's happy by nature. He really is. But he had a lot of issues around that about not being able to express. But the anxiety of wanting relationships and friendships, because they, they're not stupid. They know this is part of what everybody else does. So they have anxiety because I don't need the relationship the same way other people do. But if I don't have them, and then, and you know, as they get older, they start to realize these even this even more. So there's anxiety in that. But he's starting to be true to himself. He's starting to listen to his own voice. And so it's in everybody. That's what I mean. There's no, it's everywhere. Because like you said, Christy, it starts, all of this starts in our past. And sometimes, understand this, sometimes it's inadvertently done. Sometimes somebody may be thinking they're telling you something that's going to motivate you. And in your head, you see it, you hear it differently. And then it actually does the opposite. So it's not that people are necessarily doing something with intention to be harmful to somebody else. Sometimes it is the way in which the person interprets the message that they hear. And then that leads to the anxiety or that leads to those thoughts in our head that kind of stick there. And like I said, I think we all have it at some degree because none of us were raised in a little tiny bubble with no opinion. You know, we're social creatures by nature. So people want to fit in. And so I think that's part of that thing of how do I fit in? Where's my place in the world? Where's my place even in that more in my home, in my groups or whatever that is? I think that people don't realize a lot. You'll hear a lot of people say, I don't dwell in the past. What they don't realize is how much they are doing it on an unconscious level because you are raised with certain opinions or, or things that could be about anything. Like, for example, even in my upbringing, religion, and I was taught about a, a wrathful type of God and those kinds of things. So fear played a huge role in, you know, how I was to, to behave or those kinds of things because my, my immortal soul depended on it. <laughs> so those things, you know, those opinions, they can become a part of you and they do play out in your life over time. I believe, you know, a lot of the decisions that you make may have to do with, you know, the way that you were raised. And I'm not saying it's always parents. It's all, you know, there's other influences, but that's just one example to me. And I think what's interesting is you said that because you were talking with your sister, you were talking with Rebecca about that because she grew up in the same kind of um, church environment. And as you get older, realizing not and understand this, not that church is bad, but it's how, once again, how you interpret what's being told to you. And if you're a child and you're being told that, you know, about the flames of hell, which this was to make an impression. <laughs> this is so interesting to me because I really didn't comprehend that because I didn't grow up that way. And so I remember one day we were in the kitchen and you opened up the oven. We were baking something and just that look on your face. Just the heat from the oven was sort of a trigger. And what did you tell me? I said, I just, I don't like that just because of, I don't know, it just creates something in me. The anxiety, I guess. Yeah. 
And once again, we have triggers. She didn't realize that. And for whatever reason, at that moment, when she opened up the oven and I could see a physical, she had a physical reaction. And I'm thinking at first, did she get burned? But then I'm thinking, well, she's not close enough. But then we talked about it. And once again, you're right. It was that anxiety and it just came up out of nowhere. It's not like you were sitting there thinking, well, I think I'm going to open the oven and then I'm going to feel the heat and then I'm going to go back to my childhood. No, it's that instantaneous. It is very, very fast. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about is, you know, Christy's fear of uh, of singing, but in public and stuff like that. But it even goes further than that. You know, um, and I always tell her, I can, I feel and I see it in her. She holds back. And you were talking about that. Yeah. I mean, I've always sang since I was a kid uh, in church and I used to sing with the choir and that. And my voice has always been pretty powerful as, I mean, I guess just loud. (laughs) So I've always felt like even when I would sing in choir and that I tried not to over sing everyone else. You know, there a lot of people didn't have a very loud voice or that. And I didn't want anyone to think that I was trying to outshine them or anything like that. I was a part of the group. But where do you think that comes from? I mean, why do you think? I don't know. It's just, like I said, part of the fear and anxiety, I guess, of But it's interesting because when we've talked, we've talked a little bit in the last, you know, 20 years. (laughs) One thing you said is when you have that very vivid memories of you wanting to do commercials and all those kind of things and very outgoing and very all of those things. Yeah, I guess when I was a kid, I was more outgoing like that. And I, I would like to perform the commercials and stuff for people. And yeah, I don't know what changed at some point that just stopped with me and I just became, you know, all inside myself and not, I was shy. So even though I would still get up to sing at church, I usually was more comfortable if I was singing with other people. So it wasn't very often that I would get up and sing alone. And I think that's what it is. So when we look at that and I always ask people, what were you like before? And they're they're like, what do you mean? I says, well, before you were this, before you were anxious, Think back in your life, and oftentimes they'll say, well, I was carefree. I just did things. I just, I was fearless, or whatever those words are. And even like with you, were fearless. You had confidence. Yeah. And I think that's what it is, even with you, is what I see sometimes is a lack of confidence. But lack of confidence comes from hearing voices in your head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because we try to be as organic as we can. And, you know, I told Christy, I said, you know, even in our podcast, there's anxiety. Yes, I feel like I'm about to get on stage every time. So, (laughs) But it's not only that. There's anxiety about what do we talk about? How do we talk about things? Even Christy had anxiety about, well, because because of your job, you know, what do we share? That creates an anxiety. Because we want to be as real and as open as we can, because it's our story, it's our truth. But there is anxiety of not wanting to offend anybody. We're talking about the people that we love. (laughs) You know, know, I always tell people, we will never make everybody happy. There's a good chance we're going to offend one person or two or three, you know, who knows. But the thing is, is I hope that people understand that what we're doing here is never about being offensive to anybody. We're talking about our experiences. We're only, we can only speak of that. Each one 
everybody has their experiences and they should always be honored and respected. Okay. You're going to have experiences that I may not have any knowledge of or anything like that. And that's okay. But it's never about being offensive. It's not about that. And it's about how do you navigate your story, your truth, and still be respectful of others. I was like, Christy's nodding. She forgets. (laughs) (laughs) You got to love it. So that's kind of, you know, that whole premise of how do we, like I said, speak our truth and get rid of the anxiety around speaking our truth too, because when we tell our, when we do our narrative, how do we do that? And I'm, and I think when I tell people, you know, we have to speak our truth and stuff like that, that never means being mean or tearing down other people or doing stuff like that. That I'm not about that. Christy's not about that. You know, we really do believe that the thing that we do or the things that we should do, once again, this is us, is do our best to uplift people, to be there when we can be for people, and at the same time, taking care of ourselves and doing those kind of things. That I think is important in speaking our truth too, is not compromising who we are at the core of who we are. But once again, you have to find your core (laughs) because it gets lost sometimes. And I always tell everybody's just doing their best. People are muddling through life. They're doing the best that they can. We all want the same things in a way. We just want to be happy. We want to live our life. We want to do things we like to do, those kind of things. And sometimes, once again, we get stuff just gets in the way. And that's part of it, too. You have to identify those things. Like I, One of the things that I find is that my anxiety will be elevated if I am not organized and finding a place for everything. And somehow that helps because sometimes it feels like you're just overwhelmed by all of the stuff if you're just, if you don't have any organization to help you manage it. You know, that's a really good point too, because we're not minimalist, but we don't have a lot of clutter in our home. If you go into my office, there's not a lot of clutter. And I used to, at my other job, I used to share space with some people. And when I invite people into my space, I really invite them in. But I always keep my office is very organized. It's That's just how I am. And I do that for specific reasons because of some of the disorders that I treat. I want to minimize the stimulation so that people don't get overstimulated. My office is very much created to create a calm feel for people. But when I used to share my office, I would go in and I would be there like, wow, is anybody in here? And then I found out that one of the women who was sharing my office, it almost created anxiety in her because I don't think she felt like she could be comfortable in my space, even though that didn't come from me. You know what I mean? That was the perception she had. And it really wasn't when I, like I said, when I invite people into my space, This last week, my nephew's girlfriend used my office. She's also a a therapist. And I don't care. When I open my space to you, I really open my space to you. But And so that kind of surprised me a little bit. (laughs) But once again, we don't have clutter. And we realized when we had our storage, we moved our storage into our garage, that would drive me. It would create anxiety in me. And I think it plays on you without you even realizing it. I know it does. I mean, once you get things straightened out and and put away and organized the way that it should be, there is such a relief that happens. And you don't even realize it was weighing on your mind the whole time. I have a a couple of clients, one PCS, and she's there like 
before she did that, she would be a little anxious. And I said, and we talked about decluttering. So they did. And she says, oh my gosh, she goes, how do you not realize there's a tie into these things? And decluttering with her has made a huge difference. My other one, they just moved. So they're not unpacked yet. And I can tell if there's this elevated anxiety in her. And it's because I go in and I'm overloaded. And when we get overloaded, that anxiety kicks in. And in order to change it, you do have to do baby steps because if you leave it that way for a long period of time and that anxiety continues to build, you have to literally get yourself out of a rut to make it change because you get used to seeing it there all the time and you just don't want to even deal with it. You just want to walk away from it. But if you'll actually go and even if it's just one section that you work on or whatever, and you get that part taken care of, that's where it starts. And even if it takes you time, maybe it's something you you can only work on on the weekends. Once you get it to where that it needs to be, you just realize what a relief it is. You know, you said something interesting when you said about walking away. You know, we're talking about clutter, so to speak. But how many times, you know, like you said, baby steps and, and identifying it, how many times people don't realize that they walk away from their anxiety because they think that if I address the anxiety, I'm going to have more anxiety, which sometimes you will have more anxiety. But I also tell my clients, sometimes we have to kind of get through the muck before we get to the other side. And, you know, that's the whole thing. We have to do those things. But I always tell them it might be a bumpy journey, but you're going to really like the end result. Yes, because you find you're so overwhelmed to start with. And that's why I say if you do it in baby steps, just little increments, it eventually gets to where it becomes habit, where that you are able to keep things organized. And it, it helps your anxiety go down so much. Well, and you know, even when we talk about this, you know, we talk about anxiety. Anxiety is on the rise. And, you know, I mean, for a lot of reasons, <laughs> It's been kind of a really chaotic, crazy two years that we've had. And and that anxiety is still playing out. It's not going to go away. We're still in the midst of this whole thing with COVID trying to navigate it. You know, where do we go? There's anxiety that comes with that. What's this rule? What's that rule? We talk about that. And, you know, so that anxiety is there. But people can kind of pinpoint that anxiety. So it kind of is like, oh, yeah, I'm anxious because, you know, of the COVID. And it's almost like that's an easier anxiety for them to deal with. But there's those other things oftentimes from our childhood because of the relationships we have with those people or wherever it came from, that what we do is we walk away from it. But what we don't understand is you cannot walk away from you. People think they can, but what you do is you just bury it. You bury it, bury it, bury it. And then pretty soon you're cluttered. You're just not dealing with it. And walking away from it is only a temporary fix. Exactly. And unfortunately, it's not one of those fixes, like you said, that's going to be a long-term thing. And I tell my clients, we do things in baby steps. Everything's about baby steps. One of my clients, he has a little bit of anxiety. So some PTSD doesn't go out too much and all that. And I'm always telling him, baby steps, baby steps. (laughs) But I'm really impressed with his buy-in to the therapy to work on that PTSD, which has those anxiety components and, and stick with it. And I'm truly grateful for all of my clients because I I truly feel like they're invested in and getting to be on this journey is always an honor and and I'm always grateful for it. And I'm always grateful that we can see those baby steps and happening and then we get to see bigger and bigger things. And it's always such an honor 
for me in that aspect. So one of the things is, is today we're talking about fear and anxiety. And y'all know, any of you who listen, y'all know that Christy's biggest fear or one of her biggest anxieties is? Singing in public or talking in public. (laughs) (laughs) Which, once again, nobody sees her, but that anxiety, though, is there. So today, Christy's going to work baby steps, overcoming some of those that anxiety. And so she's going to actually sing a song. This is not her song. This is actually uh, Killing Me Softly by the Fugees. So all the credit goes to them. She's going to just sing it and hope y'all enjoy it. Strumming my pain with his fingers Singing my life with his words Killing me softly with his song Killing me softly with his song Telling my whole life with his words Killing me softly with his song I heard he sang a good song I heard he had a style And so I came to see him and listen for a while. And there he was, this young boy, a stranger to my eyes, strumming my pain with his fingers, singing my life with his words. Killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song, telling my whole life with his words, killing me softly with his song. I felt all flushed with fever. Embarrassed by the crowd I felt he found my letters And read each one aloud I prayed that he would finish But he just kept right on Strumming my pain with his fingers Singing my life with his words Killing me softly with his song Killing me softly with his song Telling my whole life with his words Killing me softly with his song
his fingers, singing my life with his words, killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song, telling my whole life with his words, killing me softly with his song. So, where was the anxiety level on that? And on a scale of one to ten? Well, lots. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can see the tremors that are happening, but they're there. <laughs> so, and you know, we talked about the song and talk about anxiety. If you were that person in that song and you felt somebody was talking about these letters or and all of this stuff, the anxiety, you know, she talks about the embarrassment and stuff like that. So it's basically a song that really does have anxiety in it when you look at it, you know, that thing of that whole emotional range in it. Yeah. And it definitely has that. I just, I don't know what happens, but at that moment, I find that I become emotional. So it, it just, I don't know, it's just the nerves, I guess, that I shake. And <laughs> Is it that, or do you actually, is some of the emotion, the song itself, when you sing, is it the emotion of the song that you are feeling as well? Occasionally, but that's not usually it. It's usually the anxiety. It's just overwhelming. So do you feel like this is a baby step? <laughs> It's a part of the process, yeah. I mean, definitely for me, we've mentioned in some of the past ones that I got to perform the national anthem at a local soccer game here in Springs. And that was the biggest audience I'd ever performed in front of. I believe they said there was like three or 4,000 people there. That was such a neat experience for me, even though I had such anxiety up to that point. But... After doing it, I was so happy that I did. And that's usually how it works out. But it's just getting to that point. And you know how much I was shaking. I kept my hands in my pockets the whole time. <laughs> I was squeezing my chapstick. So, yeah. And we I, sent the video. I did a video of it and sent it to some of our family. And they all said the same thing. Why are hands in your pocket? <laughs> I was trying to, to hide my shaking. <laughs> But that was such a neat experience. So like I say, it's all part of the process. And for you, yours is around, it really is around, which is part of your story. It's that is your truth as well, because music is always on in our home. And if it's not on out loud, trust me, it's on in her head. It's always on. And because music is such a huge thing for you. I absolutely love music. My mom loved music and my dad, I think, grew to have an appreciation for it. When we were little, you know, my dad would, we would watch as a family, American Bandstand, Solid Gold, and all of those kind of things. You know, my, my dad, you know, what he would do too. So he grew up in a different, so they were very different. My mom was very much a musical. My, my grandfather played accordion, uh, harmonica, and piano, I believe. He played all by ear. So grew up with the musical thing. And even though on my dad's side, there were musical people in my dad's side, that wasn't his thing, but... I think he really learned to appreciate it. I think that's what it is. For you, music is such a huge thing. I love to sing. I know you do. <laughs> I love listening to you sing. I do it all the time at the house, but I just want to be able to overcome that and have the confidence 
to sing comfortably. And, you know, one of the things we talk about, because, you know, one of the things you said is that oftentimes you feel it in your throat. It's like your throat just shuts down. And I tell people we have chakras, we have all those things, you know, which is, but when that gets closed up, we don't realize it. But we that closes up because we don't speak our truth. We don't tell our story sometimes. And I think that's the important thing of how do we expand that? How do we get people to be able to to do those things, you know, to have whatever those loves and passions are. And whether you're good at it or bad at it, that's somebody else's perception. But if you you do it and it comes from your heart and it comes from your soul, so to speak, and it feels good to you, that's what should matter. But we're so busy worried about what everybody else is going to think that we shut that off. So I have another good example of that too. I feel like I, when I was younger, I loved roller skating and I have recently wanted to pick that up again. I've started to practice some, I totally need to devote more time to it, but I often wonder at first, I kind of wondered what other people would think because the age that I am now versus when I was roller skating back when I was a kid, you know what I mean? And I, I guess I had a little bit of anxiety about that, but I thought, you know, it's something I love so much and it's a great activity. It's something that you get a little exercise of that. It's important to me. So things like that, that you love, you should do those things. For my work, once again, start out community mental health. And I remember being with mental health, Christine, like we've been together the whole time I've been in this career, but I always had anxiety about making sure my clients didn't find out all of those things, you know? So when all my co-therapists had pictures of their families, none of that was on my, uh, displayed at all. It was always something that was very hidden and I, and always that fear of having the anxiety of if they find out because I work kids and I work, are they going to pull their kids from me and stuff like that. But that was something that really stayed with me for a very long time. And since I've been in private practice, that was one of the baby steps for me was not hiding that part of me, you know, because we would be talking about things and people would ask, you know, sometimes would say, you know, well, do you have kids? And I'm always like, no, don't have any kids, you know, but now I'm very open in my practice and everybody loves Christy, like I said. And in fact, we had one of the parents the other day was out sitting waiting for her son. What did she tell you? She said, we just love her. <laughs> no, but about you and I. You. <laughs> no, about you and I, though. Yeah. Oh, she had asked me if we were together. And she said, we had kind of thought so, but we weren't sure. But that's cool. How long have you been together? <laughs> you know, and then one of our, Kathy, the one who's been on our podcast with us, she had a client who kind of liked Christy. <laughs> And she just told him. How did she tell him? I don't know. She, I think she told him, well, you know she's with Sharon, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> so we don't hide it. We don't flaunt it. We are just who we are. And I think that has become our story even in that. And I think that's what has really helped for me decrease that thing is we're together. I think a lot of people at this point, even in my hometown, they just pick up on it. We don't flaunt it. We don't hide it. And people treat us as a couple always, which I realize it's all been baby steps to decrease that anxiety, that stigma, that stuff. And 
you know, now being in private practice, it's, you know, somebody really thinks I'm not an effective therapist because who I love, well, I can't do anything about that. But I'm extremely grateful that my clients do know and they're all there like, okay. (laughs) But it really is those baby steps. And as you do it, you get more comfortable with who you are and you get to be the best version of you. And I think that's what it is, being the best version of you. And knowing that sometimes when we're we're being the best version of us, it's not going to be other people's idea of the best version of us. And realizing, too, that everybody's perception is different. And there are many people that know many different versions of you. As we age, we grow, we hopefully evolve. And there are people that know you from your past, but they know know the the you that that existed back then. But a lot of things change over time. And hopefully we do grow. Maybe they don't know the person that you are today. And, you know, even for me, I I have to thank Christy for this because one of my things is is people will think, because I talk all the time, that that's easy for me or, or it's something that I do in all arenas, but I don't. When I used to work for mental health and we would have the company parties and stuff, I would have anxiety start a week before I had to do this and I would just feel that ramping up in me and Christy would always be there like you know it's okay I'm I'm right there with you but I had that anxiety because I didn't do social settings well one-on-one or one maybe two but I'm fine if I'm going to do a presentation to a hundred people or two I don't care that to me is I'm just giving information I'm not having to interact with them in that way and (laughs) Christy get just go, why was that? No, because I get up in front of people and I can't even remember my name. <laughs> so, But I get, I go into a social setting and I couldn't remember my name. You would think in, growing up in a big family, but there was always so much chatter too. You know what I mean? But then we had our quiet time. It was very weird. We had a big farm. We had 160 acres. So you could always go find some space out there to quiet everything down. <laughs> But now I do it much, much better. Sometimes I'll get a little bit of anxiety still if it's like with new people or things like that. But I'm learning that, you know, people say, well, Leo's want to be the center of attention. And no, (laughs) that's not me. You know, so even like that, I had to find my truth even in that. Because I remember even being little people say, oh, and Leo's are this way and Leo's are that way. And I used to think, well, I'm a Leo, but how come I don't act that way? I don't have those same feelings. I had to learn my truth even in that. And that's just this thing about a Zodiac sign. It wasn't even, but I remember having that in my head of, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be this. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm not. I am who I am. I sometimes will talk and sometimes I won't. All of those things that are relevant and important, we have to find those truths within us. I'm grateful I don't have that degree of anxiety any longer about the social stuff because it was really hard on me, but I had to learn that it was okay. I did. I re- had to realize that I didn't have to talk to everybody and I didn't have to go entertain or, or listen or do all that. I don't know where that came from in my head, but you know, Christy would be there with me and then we would say, okay, we're going to sit with these people who are my friends anyway. And then that kind of gradually helped where I didn't have that anxiety. And now I, you know, like I said, it'll come up every once in a while, but I don't have huge anxiety about it like I used to. And I'm really grateful for that because it doesn't feel good. No, because it used to be right up until the time of going to the party. It was, don't leave me. Whatever you do once we get there, do not leave me. You don't do that anymore. So that's good. No, (laughs) we evolve. And that's what it is. It's an evolution. And I tell people, 
life is this wonderful, amazing journey that we're on. We talk about this a lot. What you feed will grow. So pay attention to what you're, you're feeding. When we feed that anxiety, it will grow. When we feed our confidence, when we feed all those other things, those other pieces of us that are just as relevant, that will grow. And that will eventually outshadow that anxiety. So that's the focus. Finding our voice being true to our voice, to who we are, to our story, and then feeding it, feeding who we are and not feeding that anxiety because that anxiety overwhelms us and it doesn't feel good. We become so worried about what could go wrong instead of realizing how many things could go right and come from those moments where that we push through that. Well, and I always tell my clients, our life is made up of moments. But with anxiety, even if it was one moment or a hundred moments, we'll feed those that one or hundred moments, but we will have a thousand or a million other moments. And we minimize those and we maximize the moments. And when I deal with trauma and all of that, that's what it is. That trauma is fed and not on a conscious level or anything. I'm not saying, you know, it's all done like you said, it, it just pops up. It's triggered by things. But I think we're also taught that in society. We're taught if something bad happens to you, it's a traumatic situation. And, and then we buy into that and we do all this kind of stuff. And the thing is, is that we feed it. Society feeds it. There's all of this going into it and realizing if we just stop feeding it and we feed the things that are going to enhance our lives, we find that, guess what? Our life becomes enhanced. And that's a journey that we're on. And that's something that we work at on on a daily. And I, and I appreciate the fact that we get to be on this journey together because when we're on a journey together, I think it really does enhance it in a different way. Yeah, I think it maximizes it. There you go. So you guys maximize, maximize. <laughs> we really hope that you enjoyed the episode today. Once again, work on speaking your truth, honoring your truth, and minimizing those voices that lead to that anxiety. We hope you enjoyed the episode and, you know, we'll be back next week and we have no idea what our topic is. I guess you'll know it when we do. <laughs> anyway, hope you guys have a really, really great, great weekend and so grateful for y'all listening. Thank you so much. Thank mm. you. Bye. Bye.